0: hello it is thursday december 3rd i am trent rinesmith and this is another edition of the daily come on now mma podcast and here are the topics for today tj dillashaw is close to returning from his usada suspension dillashaw wants to bantamweight title fight upon his return and i don't think so. that's a good idea There's talk that Nick Diaz, who hasn't fought since 2015 and hasn't won since 2011, plans to return to the UFC, and I hope that doesn't happen. Yair Rodriguez gets hit by by USADA for three whereabouts violations. USADA drug testing would be on the table if UFC fighters had a collective bargaining agreement, and the UFC should test Cody Garbrandt extensively before allowing him to return to action. This is just another example of Dana White's statement that the UFC goes above and beyond in health and safety is untrue. T.J. Dillashaw is on the verge of returning to the UFC. He was suspended two years uh, for EPO after his fight with um, Henry Cejudo. And he surrendered the bantamweight title before that test even became public. What happened was that USADA revealed, you know, irregularities, and Dillashaw didn't even wait till the final call came from USADA, uh, relinquished the title, pretty much said, Yeah, he did it, and then took a suspension and occasionally spoke about it, but nothing other than kind of accepting that he did it, saying that he did it, and then after that, kind of making excuses so not a real shocker but um now he's thinking of you know he's going to come back and he's going to fight at bantamweight because the fight that he got popped for was at flyweight and not a wise decision um so dillashaw told espn i want that title i want it right away because you've got a guy peter yan who beat someone for a belt that was owned to in the weight division jose aldo had two losses and Beat him for a title. So, how are you calling yourself a champion? To me, you're an interim champion. That belt has changed hands every fight. There's no one that has been dominant. That is my belt. So, I want to come back and I want that title fight. I don't think Dillashaw should get a title fight. I think that sends the wrong message. And I know the UFC has allowed fighters who have come back from drug suspensions and you saw the suspensions to fight for the title. I don't think it's the right thing to do, I think it sends the wrong message. Yes, that fighter served their sentence. And yes, Dillashaw was tested pretty regularly while he was out on suspension. So I'm happy about that because sometimes USADA does not do that. But to reward a fighter after a two-year suspension when they blatantly cheated is the wrong message. And I know we have our doubts about some other fighters if they blatantly cheated or not just because of the way the tests come out. But EPO is, you're cheating. You're just straight cheating and there's nothing that EPO could have been in. You're, you're not going to be saying that it was in a tainted supplement. You're just not. So I think to to reward, quote unquote, Dillashaw with a title shot right away is the wrong message. Um, set him up with someone that's highly ranked, someone that would be in a, in a um, title eliminator maybe, Someone like uh, Sandhagen, who has called Dillashaw out. I think that's a great fight. I think that makes sense for everyone. And it sets the winner up to fight for the title. So why not do that? Um, It gets Dillashaw back in action after two years off. It gets him legit. Not that the testing that he was undergoing while he was out of action wasn't legit. But this is, you know, in training camp testing just in case something weird happens it's it's more realistic um testing other because when you're suspended why would you really dope other than to you know maybe to get some some reps and 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 you take steroids so you can to train better and recover better but you have you know you're going to be out for a, a set amount of time so i don't i don't really see that someone would do that um, it would be silly to me. Um, so I think you get into action and get into a, a real camp and you train for that and you, you you get tested for that. And then once that's all clear and if you win, you're in a title shot. If you lose, you work your way back up. But I I, I strongly disagree that Dillashaw should be be given a title shot. And he can see that picture as well because he said, um, that Sandhagen wants to fight him. He quote from Dillashaw: He wants to fight me because he knows that's his way back. To, that's his way to the title. That title shot is mine. He wants to fight me because he wants to get to the title, and that's great. He should try and do that. But I'm trying to get the title fight. If I have to fight someone else, it better be in the top five. So I do think Dillashaw should fight someone else. But I think the UFC might just put him right into a title fight because let's not forget that Dillashaw is a favorite or was a favorite of the UFC. Um, When they wanted Demetrius Johnson to fight Dillashaw, uh, so Dillashaw could maybe become a two-division champion, the message to Johnson wasn't that the fight was good for everyone. The message to Johnson was that Dillashaw deserves that fight. And I think that was the quote from Dana White, or at least that's what quote that Johnson reported at the time. So that tells you who the UFC wanted to win that fight. But on the same, by, by the same token, they did not want to pay Johnson extra for that fight. And so he said no, because he knew his worth and he knew what the UFC wanted to do, which was have him lose. Um, and he said, you know what, no, nah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna fight Dillashaw for something that's the same pay. So that was uh, good, for, good for Johnson. And... Bad for Dillashaw and bad for the UFC as far as a PR take, but I don't know where Dillashaw stands with the UFC right now because he could have, uh, a positive. had he beat Cejudo, a positive test would have been a disaster. Um, he would have, you know, there would have been two divisions then that had no champion because of a fighter who was, you know, doping. Not, not an ideal situation. Not an ideal situation. And so... Let Dillashaw build up that trust with the UFC again and let him, you know, show that he is clean and ready to fight for the title. So hopefully that's what happens, but I am not going to put money on that. That's for sure. So there's talk that Nick Diaz is going to come back sometime in 2021. And I just want to go over this quickly. That Diaz hasn't fought since 2015 when he lost to Anderson Silva. And his last win came in 2011 when he beat a, a pretty much washed BJ Penn. And before that was his Strikeforce fight with Paul Daly. Which still remains one of the best one-round fights in MMA history. And you know one of the most exciting fights that ever uh, occurred. So I think what we're looking at here is Nick Diaz as a name more than a fighter that folks remember. I would bet that there's a handful of uh, fans out there, or more than a handful of fans who never saw Diaz fight, or at least didn't see him fight while his career was going on, maybe on Fight Pass they went back. And so they remember, you know, the Nick Diaz that fought Paul Daly. But that, by the time Diaz gets back in the cage, that Nick Diaz is 10 years older. And the Nick Diaz we remember from 2015 and beyond was a Nick Diaz that wasn't exactly training for fighting. He had a lot of other things going on. A lot of extracurricular activities that had a lot of people worried about his his. His mental state, his physical state, basically just worried about Nick Diaz, the person. And I guess he's over that. It looks like he's over that from all the training videos we have seen. He looks like he's in good shape. It looks like he's cleaned things up. You know, we're not seeing videos of him just being drunk at the club, which we were um, a few years ago. He hasn't been in any trouble that we know of over the past few years. And he's back in training doesn't mean that we want to see him fight. I don't want to see him fight again. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, and this is a guy who had said more than once that he wasn't in love with the sport, that he didn't like the fighting, that it was stressful and it was just something he was good at and, and did. And so is this just because he needs the money, wants the money is bored, I don't know, but seeing as he hasn't won in nearly 10 years and hasn't fought in nearly six years, I'm not over enthused of where Nick Diaz fits in the in the welterweight division at this time. Um, I'm, in fact, I'm kind of frightened to see where he fits in the UFC's welterweight division because I doubt very highly the UFC is going to give him a gimme fight. They're going to give him a fight to draw and they're going to give him a fight Thinking that this might not, he might not fight, fight again. Uh, and so the 37 year old Nick Diaz is gonna get a tough opponent. The UFC is more likely than not gonna book him against someone who will be able to make a name off a win over Diaz and continue fighting. Because, like I said, this isn't a guy who's easy, been easy to deal with with the UFC, he hasn't fought that often. His contracts have been problematic. So when the UFC books Nick Diaz, that booking is going to be, all right, this might be the last fight of Nick Diaz's career. Who do we put him in against? Who can make a name of a big win over Nick Diaz? I think that's what's going to happen if Diaz fights. I don't want to see him fight, but I obviously have no say with the UFC. So... Gary Rodriguez got hit with a whereabouts violation, um, three whereabouts violations, and once you hit three whereabouts violations with the United States Anti-Doping Agency, you land a suspension, and so the ruling was that he did not knowingly, well, I shouldn't say that, did not, it, it was that he was not trying to avoid USADA. So I don't know how this all played out. I don't know if USADA sent someone to where he said he would be with his whereabouts and there was no one there. Um, If that's the case, that's a huge waste of money for USADA and the UFC who pays USADA. So I can see being pretty steamed about that, especially if it happened three times. If it was just a, hey, you didn't update your whereabouts form. Can you do that? That's a different story. I'm going to assume it was probably the former that they went out and tried to testimony wasn't available. I'm going to try and get some more details on that. But again, this is something that if the UFC fighters had a CBA couldn't be negotiated. The everything gets put on the table. And so if the discussion is all right, the UFC says we are going to have a drug testing policy, and it is going to be done through USADA. That's no question on that. That's what is going to happen. Well, then that discussion begins from that point. And then the UFC fighter reps can say, all right, well, here are the things we will give, give, and here are the things we want to get rid of. And if whereabouts is one of the things you want to get rid, rid of or a whereabouts suspension, well, then you can negotiate that. But it's a give and take. So if you want to get rid of the whereabouts uh, suspension, you're going to have to give something up. And if you want to get rid of uh, marijuana testing in USADA, you're going to have to give something up. MLB did this when they negotiated with, um, the, the MLB players did this when they, they negotiated their recent contract with the MLB. And they negotiated to have marijuana removed from the drugs of abuse testing program. And they put, um, I forget what they put in, like um, the opiates. They put opiates in in its place, which were not on there before. So it was a give and take. Marijuana came off, opiates went on. And you'd be hard pressed to convince me that that wasn't a good deal for the the, uh, MLB players. Because, you know, with with the oxycontin and all those things, if someone is on them and addicted and they get popped, I think that's a, a probably a, a net positive, because you can get in that person then get them the help they need through the through the drug program and treat them. Well, yeah, you're gonna get suspended, but also treat them for uh, um, a addiction that. You know, can be deadly, especially with the uh, fentanyl going around these days. But yeah, I don't like the whereabouts um, suspension. I understand it. But again, in a CBA, that's something that would have to be negotiated. And so another reason, another reason among hundreds that the UFC fighters should organize. But again... We don't really know if that's ever going to happen. So another fighter, another ex-champion that was thinking about coming, that is thinking about coming back and has a date in mind is Cody Garbrandt. And Garbrandt wants to come back sometime in March. But Garbrandt is out because of COVID-19. And he's not just out because of COVID-19. He has ongoing issues with COVID-19. I think he said um, not too long ago that he was having issues with blood clots and that it was tied to COVID-19. And my question at that point was, what is the UFC doing for these fighters that have COVID-19 or are getting over COVID-19 and have have ongoing issues? And what is it planning on doing for fighters who might be long haulers or who have issues for the rest of their life with with COVID-19? So obviously I, I don't think I'm going to get an answer on that, but I've also spoken about uh, extra testing for folks who had COVID-19 because of the danger associated with the, uh, with the virus and the NSAC is not doing that at this time. And I think Cody Garbrandt is a perfect person with, uh, that that should start with. You have a, you have a fighter who now is known to have issues related to COVID-19 other than, you know, just the regular symptoms. He has ongoing long, maybe perhaps long-term symptoms. Maybe he's the guy that gets some a little extra care and a little extra testing as far as his heart and his, the rest of his system to see how uh, COVID-19 affects a an elite UFC athlete long term. Uh, right now, the UFC is more or less, if someone has COVID 19 or test positive, they're booking them in a fight, you know, two weeks, a month later, thinking that this, the virus will be out of their system and they will be healed and ready to compete. We know that's not true because we've seen other athletes in other sports get shut down. Um, Garbrandt, I think, is the only one that we know about in the UFC that's got shut down for a long term because of COVID nineteen. If there are others, I hope we find out, and I hope they also end up getting tested and have extra testing. Um, To do to not do that would be is a little. It's just a little strange, and again, Dana White has often said the UFC is going above and beyond in its health and safety program to not. Administer extra testing or extra care on for someone who has had COVID nineteen tells me that that's not true, and so it will be essential to watch what the UFC does with Cody Garbrandt if and when he comes back, and even how they cleared him to come back. All these things need to be answered. Um, They should be answered with every fighter who has had COVID nineteen. They aren't. Um, The UFC has. Little to no transparency on anything, really. And this is another thing that's going to get little or no transparency, even though it's the health of a fighter who is an independent contractor. And if they fall ill or if, you know, they get seriously sick and have to get um, put into the hospital and, and go on a ventilator, the UFC is not liable for that. Because these are not employees, they are contractors, and that's a big thing. So, hopefully, Garbrandt is being taken care of and being tested. And if so, let's hear about it. Let's hear about that, and let's hear about how the UFC is caring for other fighters who have had COVID 19 or have COVID 19. Not gonna hold my breath, but perhaps something will happen. And on that note, I'm going to call it a night. I'll be back uh, Sunday night. Until then, everyone stay safe.